Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy Church, and happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to our moms. We honor you today. We should honor you every day. (laughs) And forgive us where we don't. Uh, Let me take just a second and uh, say happy Mother's Day to Julie Shelton, my mom, uh, from your favorite son, because the other two aren't here to defend themselves. So I know that I'm your favorite. Just want to tell you happy Mother's Day. And I want to reserve my highest praise, of course, for uh, my wife, Courtney Shelton. Big happy Mother's Day to you. Actually, I can tell her because she's right here. uh, One of the six people that are here with us as we record this. Happy Mother's Day. I've watched you level up time and time again in this whole whole mom thing. You're like ninja level now. And uh, I, I couldn't ask for a better partner in raising our kids. So happy 12th Mother's Day, because I count the one where you were pregnant, right? Because you do, that's some work, all right? So happy Mother's Day to, to pregnant moms. Happy Mother's Day to moms with little ones, uh, moms with kids of all ages. Happy Mother's Day to single moms who are working so hard. Your kids are going to look back, be so thankful for all the work you're putting in. Man, in fact, you know what? Right now, even if this means um, pausing the sermon or whatever, I want you to, if you're in the room with your mom, I want you to go over and just give her a big, huge hug and say, Mom, I love you. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. You can tell her. I know the pastor said to do this, but I was already planning it. I was just going to wait till after the sermon, but this is my idea, and I'm coming over here giving you a big hug. I love you. Maybe you need to text your mom. Maybe uh, you need to to call her, or maybe if you have like a spiritual mother in the faith, and you need to text her as well, thank you so much for the way you've invested into me and, and cared for me. Being a mom is the hardest assignment in the world. All right. So I want to thank them. And I do want to say as well, if uh, if Mother's Day comes with a bit of a, a heavy emotional weight for you, maybe a bit of, of grief and mourning for you, I want you to know that God uh, can meet you right there in that grief as well. I mean, I think about uh, Courtney and I, and we lost a child in miscarriage, and because of that, Mother's Day, Father's Day, there's this kind of mix of emotion that does come. We, we're celebrating, we love our kids, and, and celebrating, of course, but uh, we also have grief, and those two things kind of just mixed together, which makes us just kind of all the more by the end of the day say, oh, thank you, Lord, that we have victory over death in Christ. And there's a, a very sweet way that the grace of God meets us and is there for you and can meet you as well. In fact, let me do this. Let me pray real quick. Just thank God for the gift um, of our moms, and then uh, we'll keep going. All right, will you join me and let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the, the beautiful gift of motherhood for our moms. Thank you for the way that they uh, demonstrate Christ to us. They demonstrate your love to us. Um, We are not thankful enough. I pray that you would stir thankfulness today. I know that's what I'm I'm praying for our whole day today. But God, thank you for the the hard work um, that our moms are putting in uh, all across across our church. We're just so, um, so thankful and we love them. And we love you, and we say thank you for giving them to us, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, if you got your Bible, I want you to get it out. Make your way over to the book of Colossians. 
Book of Colossians, all right? You're going to get there. You're going to go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. If you get over to um, First and Second Thessalonians, you're going too far. If you find yourself in something like Obadiah, Habakkuk, you still got a ways to go, all right? Just keep going forward. You'll find your way there. Scroll there. Get there. If you've been with us uh, for a little while as a church, you know that we've actually been in the book of Acts for a little while, really ever since the weekend we were put under the stay-at-home order. And that's because we needed to hear, we really felt like we needed to hear that even though the church building was closed, the church was not closed. Right, the church was wide open. And the book of Acts helped us see that a scattered church can be a powerful witness to the grace of Christ. And that scattering doesn't slow God's work down. Scattering actually multiplies the gospel witness throughout the world in new and creative ways that we would never seen before. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I'm reading through the book of Colossians in my just morning time with the Lord and in my reading plan. And man, just as I'm going through Colossians, I come across it, I'm like, man, God is just speaking to me about what it's going to look like to walk forward. And as our society starts to just kind of turn the page, maybe you're feeling this a little bit, that like after eight weeks of just kind of staying at home, we're all the different states and even federally starting to talk about a, re, a, a reopening and what those phases are going to look like. I just felt, man, we need to consider what going forward, what moving forward is going to look like. And I was reading in Colossians and I saw this rhythm where Paul talks about how great Christ is, how awesome Christ is. And then he urges them to walk forward. He says it several times. Walk forward with your both your heart and your eyes set on Christ. It's like see Jesus, set your mind on Jesus and then walk forward with Jesus. Move forward with him. And so we've kind of named this series Moving Forward because we're going to need God's help moving forward with life after all of this. Initially, I remember thinking, I know you did as well, man, as this stay-at-home order hit, we're like, God, I need your help to get through this. And we did, and we still do, right? We're certainly not out of anything, right? We, we still do. But what we're realizing now is that it's not just going to be like we're going to flip a switch and everything goes back to normal. Right? There was kind of a flipping of the switch feeling when we all just kind of, boom, we got to go home. And then all of a sudden we're all home. But whatever we do come out of this, whatever that does look like, it's going to be gradual. And it's not going to be a return to the old way of things. I think we kind of got to own that and get ready for that. It's not going to be returned to the old way. We're not returning. We are moving forward. And you and I, we have the opportunity that we've just, we never get this. We got the opportunity to take the next eight weeks or so, eight or nine weeks, that's about how long we're going to be in Colossians. That's my, where I get that timeline from. And we get to decide, man, I'm going to build my life on the foundation of Christ and his work instead of just trying to fit Jesus into the margins where I can. Right? I got the chance right now to let some old habits die. I got the chance to install some rhythms of grace into my life that I can carry with me forever for the rest of my life. It's kind of like, the way I was thinking about it, it's kind of like we're all the class of 2020, right? Listen, a lot of graduations are usually this weekend, uh, college graduations, and y'all, for both high school and college graduates, man, we are grieving with you that you're missing your graduation. I 
We hate that for you, uh, for sure. So what, what I, the least I can do is give you one line from the graduation speech you were sure to, to hear. Okay, I know this line is going to be in there, right? Uh, you got the typical uh, high school graduation, and whoever your like, class speaker is, like maybe it's the class president or the valedictorian, whoever it would be, it always kind of goes, it starts with the, the, the sadness of like, man, remember when we were freshmen and we were little? And it was sad. And then you're like, you're kind of tearing up because you remember that time. And then you're like, then it switches over to the funny because you're like, ha. But then we survived Mr. McKenzie's lab. Whew, didn't know if we're going to make that. And everybody kind of chuckles. That's the funny part. And then you kind of move into like the vision, like the really reflective part. And they all say this. It's not really just an ending. It's also a new beginning. Right, Every graduation speech has that in there. This is a, a new beginning that we have. Well, you know what? Every single one of those graduation speeches is right. It is a new beginning. Uh, the beginning of the next season of life, and the possibilities are endless. And I think this moment in history, basically all of us have the chance to get in on this new season with you graduates. we got a chance to move forward, to see the days ahead as a beginning, and move forward as a changed people who are trusting Christ with our whole lives. So y'all, I just kind of want to invite you to join us over the next couple of months as we walk through this book of Colossians and see what it means to let God be the one who sets our steps as we move forward. And what we're going to see at the heart of this letter, and we're going to see the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. It's beautiful in this letter. He is king over us, and he alone is enough to transform us into the people God is calling us to be. So today's going to be real simple, okay? The flow of, we're going to start chapter 1, verse 1, and the flow of the first chapter, it goes praise, prayer, praise, all right? Um, Instruction, like here's what you're supposed to do, it doesn't come all the way until chapter 2, verse 6, It's all praising and praying up until then. It's going to take us three weeks to get through praising and and praying. And I hope you'll see something in that. That's very intentional. And even the way Paul crafts the letter, before you do something for God, you got to surrender yourself to God in prayer. And before you surrender yourself to God in prayer, God, this is what I need from you. You got to praise him for who he is and what he's already done. We often skip straight to the, I know, in sermons, we're thinking it, and even in Bible reading, everything else, we're thinking, okay, tell me what to do. What do I do next? Make me better. Let me go to what I do. Well, well, hold up. Paul's basically doing this letter, saying before that, you got to pray, and before that, you got to praise. you got to see who God is and praise him for that and praise him for what he's done. And then, then your soul is going to be ready to move forward with Jesus. So really simple main objective with our time this morning. I am praying that your soul will be stirred to thankfulness. That's it. Just praying that you will come out of this with a, a thankful heart and a thankful set of eyes seeing what God has done. So let's just hop in. If we were all together, I would say, okay, you guys ready? And then um, Crystal Hampton and Nick Colley and Jake Greer and Charlie King and Scott Urbanic and Charlie Brown and Tony. Fr- the, the, there's eight to ten people who would say yes, and all the rest of you would just kind of look at me, and then I have to say it again and everything. So in your home, you're just going to say, yeah, let's go, all right? You ready? All right, let's go. All right, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, 
and Timothy, our brother. All right, we're going to stop right there. Our author is the guy Paul, and he's accompanied by Timothy, who's like a, a younger pastor in training. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus, and here's why, here's how. Once he was persecuting Christians, but then God interrupted his life and overturned it, and so now he's an apostle of Christ. He's one who speaks on behalf of Christ, who goes and proclaims the message of Christ by God's will. God had a different plan for his life than he did, and God's plan is the one that unfolded. And even right here in Paul's acknowledgement of his authorship, I think there's a reminder for us that no one is beyond saving. Everyone has a story that can be redeemed and can be used to bring about good things for God's glory. And God's will is stronger than your will and stronger than my will. God can overturn your life and he can do it in an instant. His will is good. And you and I should welcome whatever he wants to do in and through us. On to verse 2. All right, this is who's writing is Paul. And now here's who he's writing to. To the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. His letter is to the saints, that's the holy ones, the set-apart ones. It's his way of saying to the church, but he wants to make sure he's not just writing to a building, right? He's not just writing to, writing to the homes that they meet in. He's writing to the group of people who have been made holy, not by their own merit, but by what Christ has done. And the saints, watch this, even the positioning of the, the, the words here, the positional words are important. In Christ, at Colossae. The reason they're helpful is because in, in Christ, as Christians, our first location, our first home is not in Charlotte, but it is in Christ. That's not just who we are, it's positionally where we are. Our first citizenship is in heaven. We're Christians first. Paul's going to say this. I think we'll cover it next uh, weekend, I believe. Uh, In a few verses, when you become a Christian, your citizenship gets transferred. So he talks about it. Transferred from the present world into heaven. And that's how you begin to identify yourself. You are in Christ and you're at Colossae. You are in Christ and we are at Charlotte. And Colossae is, um, just to give you kind of a point of reference for what's going on in the city, it's a metropolitan city in what we now call Turkey, the, the nation of Turkey. Um, to, you probably know Laodicea. It's about 11 miles east of Laodicea, so that should help you figure that out now, right? <laughs> Feel pretty good now? Um, uh, listen, the kind of cool thing here is Paul didn't plant this church. In fact, Paul's never been to this church. Um, the, the, what happened was Paul led a guy named Epaphroditus, which for short is Epaphras, who's mentioned in verses 7 and 8. He led him to faith in Ephesus. Well, then Epaphras went back home to Colossae and starts leading other people to faith. And that's why it's kind of mentioned right here in verses 7 and 8. Paul mentions it. You learned this. You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he's told us about your love in the spirit. Epaphras went and reported to Paul and Timothy all the good stuff that, the, that God was doing uh, among the saints in Colossae. I was leading people to faith and stuff. And you might ask, well, then why didn't Paul just go see it for himself? Why write the letter? Well, Paul's in jail in Rome. He's in jail for preaching the gospel, and, but Paul barely mentions it even in this letter. 
There's like two times he mentions it. One, it's kind of a general reference to his sufferings in chapter two. And then he mentions it specifically. And the very last thing he says is just, remember my chains at the end of chapter four. Um, That's the only time he really mentions his situation. Otherwise, he's focused on their faith. He knows this is a young church in a city that's filled with a whole lot of other options for worship than Jesus. Filled with more familiar options to people for worship than fully devoting yourself to this guy, Jesus. And in that way, it reminds me a lot of our city. These faithful brothers and sisters, they needed encouragement because, you know, it's hard sometimes following Jesus when you're surrounded by people that don't. Right? When you're the only one and Paul's writing them to, to encourage them to breathe life and to remind them that they are brothers and sisters and they have an extended family and they're not alone in this. And on top of that, there's something that's actually happening not only around the church, but inside of the church as well. That's the occasion for why Paul's writing this letter. There's a false teaching circulating that basically goes like this. There's two groups of people um, who have now come together, Jews and Greeks, and they've come together in this church in Colossae. All right. And there's, it's a very subtle false teaching, but it's usually the, the subtle shifts that are the most dangerous, right? Like the one, the counterfeits that you can barely tell are the ones that are the most subversive most of the time, right? Well, what you have is you have the Greeks saying, hey, Jesus is a great addition to the gods that we worship. So we're going to add Jesus into this. So it'll be Jesus plus all of our gods. That's the Greeks. Then you got the Jews who are over here saying, Jesus is great. We're going to add him into, we're going to say we have faith in him and we need to obey all the laws of the Old Testament. So it's going to be Jesus plus the laws. So you got Jesus plus other gods and Jesus plus the laws over here. And then on the outside, you got people saying, hey, Jesus is not even worth any of your time at all. There's a lot of better, better options out there. And Paul sees all of this. And he says, okay, externally, they're faced with loneliness. Internally, there's confusion brewing. And his answer is the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. He says, no, no, no. Jesus is the only one and true God. This is what's coming in this letter. The one and only true God. These gods don't exist. He is supreme over all of them. You don't need any of these other laws because he is sufficient to grant you standing before God. You are made righteous, not with Jesus plus these other laws, but with Jesus alone. And Jesus is better than anything else that's going on in the world out there. He is supreme. He is sufficient. And he is going to help us see the glory of Christ. That's what he wants them to see. And He wants them to see that they're not alone. They're not alone as they go through this. And so he pours out promises about the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And they're not alone. Oh, man, this is why some of us need Colossians. To be reminded you're not alone. To be reminded Christ is king. To be reminded Christ is enough. And to be reminded that Christ really is better. He really is better than anything else. Well, then... Paul turns now to celebration, to thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. He starts celebrating what God's already doing among them. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, By the way, just an aside, something we're actually something, not so much an aside, really getting into this today. When you pray, do you begin with thanksgiving? Do you thank God for the work he's already doing in you? 
Say, God, before I come to you with this list of things that I need, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you that I'm a little more patient now than I used to be. And that's not something that I'm saying I'm I'm prideful for how I've become more patient. No, it's because the more that I rest in your finished work of what Christ did for me, the more I remember how patient you were for me when I kept running from you, but you were patient for me and you loved me even when I didn't love you. And then you turned and you saved me. God, the more I dwell in that, the more patient I'm becoming towards others. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, that I'm more forgiving now than I used to be. That's your work in me. God, thank you for what you're doing in my family. I see my spouse and I see they're more compassionate now than they used to be. I see my kids being more generous with one another than they used to be. God, I see you. I see what you're doing and I'm thankful. I see how you're changing my friends in my community group. Thank you for saving her. Thank you for saving him. I see their whole countenance changing. I see the light in their eyes that didn't used to be there. I see love and joy that wasn't there. And and God, I just want to thank you. I'm thankful for what you're doing. Y'all, sometimes in our kind of theological tribe, in our church tribe, we do a good job of looking all the way back at the cross and saying, man, I believe that and I'm thankful for what Jesus did there. And then we look at at our own personal story and we remember the day that God saved us and we're like, man, I'm thankful. I'm thankful what God did that. And hey, both of those things are good and right to do, right? Very important to do. But then it's like we don't look at the rest of our timeline between the moment we are saved and right now. And if we neglect being thankful for the work that God has been doing in us, If we neglect recognizing that work, we start to run the risk of doubting whether God really cares at all. Is he really there? Is he really? I mean, I know he saved me, but I haven't been paying attention. Has he been doing anything since? Man, I believe a key for many of us as we go through this series to we want to see God change us into the type of people he's created us to be. I think the key for many of us is to just take inventory of what God has been doing and to be thankful, to praise him. And then he says, we're thankful for your faith and of the love you have for all the saints. All right, listen, so cool. There is an inseparable link between having faith in Jesus and loving the saints. In fact, 1 John's going to say if a man loves God but hates his brother, he's telling a lie and the truth's not in him. It's a direct link. And I say that to speak to an idea gaining traction in my generation that says it's okay to love Jesus but not his church. Listen, I'm going to say is what God's word says. If If you can say, yeah, I love Jesus but not the church, you are telling a lie about God. That's not me. That's what the scripture says. Now, I'm not saying we love everything about every church. I mean, good grief, no. But the idea that you can love God and yet not have a real and active relationship with other believers who are bound together in a local church under the care and shepherding of faithful elders, that idea that you can separate those two is not something you get from the Bible. In fact, it's anti-Bible. It's counter-biblical. Right? It's an undoing of something that God has said must stay together. And I'm saying that with a little bit of force right now because that was me for a few years. Maybe you've been burned like by the church like I, like I was. I'm not at all invalidating your pain. 
But I'm saying that distancing yourself from what God loves is the wrong answer. Instead, I'm saying you got to go to the Lord. And you got to ask him for help to love what he loves. That means loving who he loves. And he loves the church. Verse 5. The love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. This is getting cool. The reason they love the saints, the Christians are loving each other, is because of the hope they have in heaven. Their their hope is not reserved for them in earth. That would be silly, right? Something temporary like things on earth. Their hope is reserved for them in heaven. Look, the love you have for the saints, that always requires, anytime you're going to love somebody else, it's going to be giving away of yourself a little bit in some way or another, right? It's sacrifice. And they are sacrificing their earthly selves, their stuff, their time, their emotional bandwidth, right? With no expectation of a quid pro quo, right? Loving the saints is not like religious networking. That's not what that is. It's not you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's I'm giving away of myself to you because my hope, my treasure, it's not here anyways, So I can freely give things away here. I'll give my resources, my time, all of it. I'll I'll give it all away. So let me pause and ask you something here. Is your hope in heaven? Is your hope there? There is no doubt that this pandemic has been hard, historically hard. It has been sad and difficult. One of the things it has done is helped us all become acutely aware of our mortality I mean, think about it. Why did we go into our homes several weeks ago? It's because we're told if we didn't, an unseen virus would spread faster, overwhelming our hospital systems, and more people would die than we're already dying. It's grim. And as we talk about reopening over the next several weeks, uh, that's going to be one of the main thing driving decisions, right? We want to limit the death count. I don't know if you guys saw the... um, there was a, I've been watching random news stuff, right? We all are on screens a lot more right now. And um, there's this guy who was interviewed because uh, he was out on a beach in Florida dressed up as the Grim Reaper, right? And he was there to protest people being outside on the beach in Florida. Uh, that He was worried like, you're going to spread the virus. And then he was there to make sure they knew the death looms. And the reason I know that that was why he was there is because in a just kind of oddly comical way, a reporter caught up with him and interviewed him, right? So here's this guy, Gary, who's dressed up as the Grim Reaper. I don't know if that's his name or not, but you can't even see his face. And you got the reporter, not six feet away, by the way, who's interviewing him, right? And he's saying, hey, you got to remember that death is coming. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for the reminder, Gary. We already knew that, right? And if it doesn't come in the form of a virus, it's coming in the form of murder hornets, right? They're going to get the rest of us. Have you seen these things? Anyways, this is another thing. I just saw that. But look, I know that the reality that death comes for all of us is not news to you, okay? But listen, we're not all going to live until we're 90 years old either. So you got to answer the question, where is your hope? Where's your hope? Is it in being a good person? A lot of us put hope in in that. It's a very subjective place to put your hope because being good is entirely based on who defines good. Is it you that determines where the bar is set? What if you find out after the end of all this, that the bar was higher than you thought it was. I read one pastor who said this about the hope of heaven. He said, the scariest thing about the Bible is not learning that God condemns sins. It's learning that the Bible tells us our righteousness is filthy rags. It's not just that our wickedness condemns us. It's that our goodness does too. That's why we need a hope outside of ourselves. 
That's why we need Jesus' perfect righteousness to come in and be substituted for even our best attempts, which are far inferior to where the bar is actually set. What if your hope is in financial security? Whether you have financial security and you're trying to hang on to it or whether you're striving for it, I mean, wealth cannot supply you a secured hope. Biggie has already taught us that, right? More money, more problems. I mean, if your hope is in something that you can, like, if you can never have enough money, like if you always need a little bit more, that's a flaw with your hope, right? If you are scared of losing it all the time, that's a flaw in something you're hoping in. That's a deficiency. It's a really unstable thing to place your hope in. Where is your hope? Look what he says next in verse five. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Y'all, we need Jesus who pays for our badness and our goodness with his perfectness. The gospels that he traded places with us. The word of truth is that he took our filthy rags on himself and that he gave us his perfect righteousness. And in doing so, we're now granted access to spend eternity in heaven with God the Father. So when Christians die, it's the hope of heaven that he's talking about here. That's what awaits them. Eternity awaits us that is far better, far better than anything this world has to offer. And we love the saints with a love that springs from thanksgiving for our Savior who created this hope for us. So my question is, where's your hope? I keep coming back to that. Because my hope is, is that when this hope starts to go to work on you, it's going to transform you. You're going to be able to be thankful and look forward in a new way and walk forward in a new way. Now watch this. He says this hope, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. The gospel is bearing fruit. Isn't this great? The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Here's what he's doing. Paul's getting into celebration mode again. Remember all of this, this whole little section here, before he starts to pray for the saints, it's all thanksgiving about what God is doing. In other words, Paul's saying, y'all, God is working. And if you could see what I see, you'd be celebrating like I'm celebrating. I'm in He is in a prison cell and he's celebrating because the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit as the gospel goes out across the known world. People are getting saved. Communities are transforming and redemption is spreading everywhere. Hope is spreading. Y'all listen, we've been a church for a little less than five years. Got our five year anniversary coming up in September. But already I want you to know that God has allowed us to be a part of his work and bearing fruit across the world. Several of our members we have sent out to live a long-term overseas, and the gospel is bearing fruit through them overseas. I think about the two churches we helped to plant in Brooklyn, New York. We've been praying for them regularly right now, including sending two of our own members last year up to one of them. And the gospel is bearing fruit in Brooklyn in a time of immense crisis there. God is moving. God is working there. I think about so many of you who we have sent even here locally, 
right, to serve full-time as missionaries through different organizations and you're serving and loving on our city and the gospel's bearing fruit. I think about how the gospel's bearing fruit in Cuba right now and how the Lord in his kindness has allowed us to have a partnership with some churches there just to kind of come along and encourage them and, and catalyze the work that they're doing there. People getting saved left and right, you just are gonna have to go on one of our short-term trips there in order to, to believe it. You wouldn't believe it just by me telling you. The circumstances are so hard and the hardship of the gospel is bearing like, like, like huge fruit. It's juicy fruit is down there, right? It's amazing what God is doing. And Paul says, hey, that, the gospel is also bearing fruit in you. The same gospel working across the world, it's right here bearing fruit. And I think about mercy and I, see, I think about, again, it's not bragging on us. It's because this whole letter is like Paul just saying, look at what God is doing. And the Lord has allowed us to see hundreds of lives transformed by the gospel in our first few years. We've asked for a gospel awakening, and I think that's what God is starting to bring. Some of you were skeptics, and God woke you up to who he is. He saved you just like he did Paul. You were headed in a different way, but God had other plans, and God's will was done, not yours. And you're thankful for it. Others of you were culturally Christian, but spiritually you were pagan. You had some patterns of faith, but your heart wasn't in it at all. And God woke you up and you've now started to give all of yourself to him. And God has made you into a totally different person. He's still transforming you into a new person. I'm watching marriages change. I'm watching families change. I'm watching you give God glory. It's beautiful. I love being your pastor. I'm watching some of us who were already Christians and locking arms together in this mission to see an awakening, has, an awakening has been like this refining fire for our faith. It has sharpened us. It has changed us. It has grayed some of us. <laughs> Y'all, we haven't had the easiest ride as a church. There's nothing really flashy about our ministry. Uh, we got pastors and staff team members doing two to three different roles. We got members carrying the weight of, of whole ministries. I mean, yes, they're meant to, according to Ephesians 4, but man, that's hard to, to lead a community group, to carry the weight of other people's faith. But man, God is making us more like Christ in the process. And I'm thankful for it. I'm praising God for it. You're not the same person you were the day God saved you. Praise God. That since the day you came to Paul's words, truly appreciate God's grace, he's been changing you for your good and his glory. Hey, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you, when I started sermon prep this week, I didn't expect the sermon to take the turn that it did to just kind of zeroing in on thankfulness, but I'm so glad that it did. Because we need, we have been forced to pause, right? The, the whole world is paused because of this pandemic. And I think we needed to pause in the pandemic so that we can praise God in the pandemic. That's what we need. It's not our first instinct. We want to go to God with what we need. And y'all, I think that's completely legitimate, by the way, to go to God with what we need. I mean, I'm your pastor. I am needy this week. I'm spiritually, in every way I'm needy. I asked Courtney. But I think about right now, just so needy. I need wisdom like crazy this week. Our elders are finalizing our reopening plan for our church. We're going to be rolling that out to you later this week. Again, when I say plan, even that's a hard thing to say because, you know, none of us knows what the future really holds here, but we need mountains of wisdom. I need courage to lead you well. I need 
patience when things don't go as fast as I'd like or, or like I planned, right? I need grace and love instead of anger when people upset me or when people are disappointed with me. And, and I'm your pastor. I'm so needy. All of us are needy. Yes. But the way to build the kind of faith that God's going to use to meet those needs, the way to, to believe that God will meet those needs is to look back. Look back on what he has done, on what he's been doing, and to be thankful and to praise him and thank him. I think of how insanely kind God has been in his provision for Mercy Church. And I think about this moment where I'm like, I don't really know how this is going to go going forward. But, oh, I had no idea you were going to do all those things that you did over the past five years. And I'm going to trust that God as I walk forward with him. Y'all, listen, I, so I want to close with a homework assignment for you. Well, okay, since almost all work is homework right now, let's not call it a homework assignment because I don't want you parents, like, wigging out. You're tired of homework, okay? So I'm, I'm going to change the name of it, and instead of homework, we're going to call it soul work, all right? Which might be a little cheesy, but maybe it'll stick with you, okay? And it might do it throughout the series. But here's what I want you to do. An assignment for you today, I want you to write out 10 things that God has done that you're thankful for. All right, and I want you to have it ready to share with your community group. Community group leaders, I want you to call your people on this, all right? I want you to, to have the conversation around this. I want you to give God credit. Look, it's one thing for me to preach about being thankful. We gotta practice this. All right, we gotta move this into a rhythm of our life where we're practicing thankfulness. So that's how we're gonna do it. Now, here's the catch. They need to be things like in your life or in the life of someone you know. Like being thankful for what God's doing in somebody else's life. It'd be awesome if it's somebody in your community group and you can tell them, I am thankful for what I see God doing in you, right? It's going to encourage their faith like crazy. But basically what I'm saying is don't like write out like I'm thankful for plants and thankful for the sky. and You know what I mean? Like make it personal to you. You know, you get what I'm saying. Um, here, let, me, let me just kind of say this as we, as we go into it. We're going to go into a time of prayer. I want you to hear if you're not a Christian, kind of skeptic, listening in. You see, I'm getting a little bit excited um, about this. What I hope you hear over kind of laying over all of this is that we're thankful for what God has done, not what we have done. We contributed really nothing, okay? Our best works were filthy rags, but it is God who we honor God who we give glory to, God who we celebrate because of what he has done. It was his grace that he came to sinners who could not make their way back to him. He came, he offered his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And all we had to do was receive the gift that God the Father was giving to us. He made a way. And it's him who might be working on you now calling you back home. Man, if not, this would be the, the next thing that we would be thankful for as a church, but it's the place for you to start. It's just thanking God that Christ has done the work to offer you salvation, forgiveness from your sins, salvation and eternity secured with the Father. And as we start to go into a time of prayer, you need to receive that salvation. Here's how we're going to pray. I'm going to give us, you're going to see up on the screen, 
We're going to see three points kind of come up. I'm going to walk us through them. They'll be pretty quick. And then I'll close us in our time of prayer. But it's important when we finish teaching from God's word and receiving God's word that we take this moment just to process it together and pray together and receive from God what he has for us and start to ask him what it looks like to apply this to our lives. So would you, right where you are in your living room, kitchen, wherever it is, would you go into, bow your head, close your eyes, go into a posture of prayer, and let me walk you through these prayer points, all right? Here's the first one. I want you to pray, God, thank you for who you are. Just thank him for who he is. Thank you that you are the creator, the sustainer, but also the one who saved me. Thank you that you're savior Thank you that you're Lord. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're kind. Thank you that you're strong. Just take a moment and you thank God for who he is. Next, I want you to thank God for what he's done. Yes, start, thank him for your salvation. And if you're not a Christian, again, like I said, God's tapping on your heart right now, calling you back to himself. Say, God, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe today. Today, I believe. Thank you, God. I'm receiving forgiveness today for my sin. Thank you. But I want you to to think, Christian, What else has he been doing in your life? How has he transformed you? How has he proven himself faithful to you? You take a few moments here and you thank God for what he's done.
we'll close with this. I want you to commit yourself to God. God, I want to move forward with Jesus at the center of my life. That's how I want to move forward. So God, I'm committing myself. You don't even have, you don't have to know what it fully looks like to walk forward with Jesus at the center. You just know that's what you want. And just tell him, God, I'm committing my life to you fully. I'm ready to be changed by you. I want Jesus at the center as I move forward with my life. You spend a moment, you commit yourself to him. God, we praise you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that he is king, supreme over all. We thank you that he is sufficient for us. That's all we need for salvation. We thank you that he's better than anything else the world has to offer. We are thankful for the work that you did, the work that you, the works that you have been doing. God, I pray that you would help us to walk forward with the eyes of our heart fixed on you, as the author of Hebrews says. God, help us to see Jesus rightly. Help us to be thankful. Would we walk forward with thankful hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.